Let's take our Bibles. We're going to turn to Proverbs chapter 1 today. So Proverbs pretty much right in the center of your Bible, uh, right to the right of Psalms. It's the center book of the poetical books, uh, one of five. If you look at our bookshelf here, you see that with the Old Testament, we have the first five books of Moses, the law, and then we have the, the history from Joshua through the Babylonian exile. And then we come to these five poetical books that we have within the Old Testament. And we are going through this section at our time in the Old Testament from Job through the Song of Solomon. And then we'll be going back into the New Testament after we complete that in a few months, okay? So this is kind of a survey over the book of Proverbs as we take a look at it. And the first question that uh, you know comes to my mind is what exactly is a proverb? And that's one of the things that I dug into and looked at different commentaries and wanted to give you a couple of definitions based on some commentaries. So one definition is a proverb is a short statement that summarizes a wise principle. And I think that's really good. And we can just leave it at that. So it's a short statement that summarizes a wise principle. We're going to get a lot of wisdom going through the book of Proverbs. That's really the, the key topic, if you will, as we go through this book is going to be wisdom. But here's one from Nelson's commentary. A proverb is a universal principle that applies to all people at all times. And I thought that was really good because that means it applies to us today. And so it's definitely worth our while as we take time to study it. Warren Wiersbe wrote, Proverbs are pithy statements. Now, I don't know, to me at first that sounds derogatory. So I had to look up the word and I'm sure all of you know what it means, but I had to look it up. So I'll just tell you what I found. The word pithy means concise and forcefully expressive. So think succinct, it's a short statement, forcefully expressive statement that summarize in a few choice words, practical truths relating to some aspect of everyday life. And that's kind of cool because that's what we're going to see in the book of Proverbs too. It just applies to so many areas of our life. But this is my favorite one from Expositor's Commentary. It says a proverb is a short pregnant sentence. Isn't that good? A short pregnant sentence or phrase whose meaning is applicable in many situations. And when I thought of that word, I just thought of full. And the longer I thought of it, I thought of life within it. Isn't that cool? And so the idea of Proverbs Expositors continues on that they're short sayings that provide general truth to the point sentences about life. Now, like the Psalms, like Job, it's filled with Hebrew poetry. And the um, notable factor of Hebrew poetry are the idea of parallelisms. And we've talked about this before. Parallelism is the rhyming of ideas or thoughts, as opposed to our English poetry, which rhymes words, or like many of our songs that we sing, the words rhyme in them. But here, it's the ideas or the thoughts that are rhyming within these phrases. Usually two poetic lines in a verse have a parallel relationship, and that's kind of the key word there, I think, is a parallel relationship. Some of them are going to be saying much the same thing as we'll see in synonymous parallelisms, but sometimes they're saying the completely opposite thing, and that will be in the antithetical parallelism. So there's some kind of a relationship between the two uh, poetic lines that are being stated as an example with synonymous parallelism. Proverbs 18.7 says, a fool's mouth is his destruction and his lips are the snare of his soul. Can you see how it's kind of saying the same thing? In the first line, it's speaking about a fool's mouth. In the second line, it's speaking about his lips. 
in the first line is talking about that being his destruction. In the second line is talking about that being the snare of his soul. So pretty much saying the same thing, but it kind of it kind of builds a little bit, doesn't it, as you think and you meditate upon that. So that's the idea of synonymous parallelisms. There's a likeness. Now, the opposite of that is what's called antithetical parallelisms, and this is where there is a contrast. And we see that in Proverbs 10.1 as an example. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. You see the contrast that we have there. In the first line, we have wise. Second line, we have foolish. In the first line, we have glad. The second line, we have grief. And then first line, father, second line, mother. I don't know what, what, why it wasn't first line, son, second line, daughter, but you know, it's, <laughs> you get the idea here, is that a wise son's gonna be a blessing to his parents, but a foolish child is gonna be the grief of his parents. And so it, it's an antithetical parallelism. It's a contrast that we see right there. And the key word in that is the word but in the beginning of the second line. And you often will see that to signal this is going to be a contrast. Most of the verses in chapters 10 through 15 are antithetical parallelisms. They'll be like this. They'll state one line and then it'll be a contrasting line that comes. Now, why is this important? Why do we need to know it? It helps us tremendously when it comes to interpretation, when we're seeking to interpret what the Bible has to say. If we're aware of the idea of parallelisms, then we can read the line if we don't understand part of it and go, well, maybe the line before it is saying much the same thing, or maybe it's a contrasting thought that's there as well. Now, that's not just in the book of Proverbs, and it's not just in these five books that are classified as books of poetry, but really most of the prophets are Hebrew poetry. And the prophets are those that are speaking words of direction to the children of Israel. They're speaking words of prophecy of the future. And so it can really help us take a look and try and understand, let the Bible interpret itself and take a look at that. By the way, and I think it's in all of our English Bibles, the editors of the Bibles have let us know where the poetry is by changing the formatting on the text. So if you were to turn back to your left a significant amount and go back into the historical books, you would see how the margins are justified when you're in the historical book. So you see the, the margins, they go all the way to the left, all the way to the right. That's helping us see that that's prose. That's a, a narrative section. But when you get into, <clears throat> the poetry books, so I'm, I'm in Isaiah right here, you can see how they're indented. Do you see that? So indented, and that's the editors are letting us know then that's Hebrew poetry at that point. And that helps us again, when we look at what Hebrew poetry is to help us be able to interpret uh, accurately, give us a, a little bit more information on how we're seeking uh, to interpret the passage. So those are really the two main ones, I, I think, um, synonymous and also antithetical. But here's a couple of more uh, parallelisms. Progressive parallelism is where the second line may expand the first or maybe complete the thought of the first. As an example, Proverbs 16, verse 3, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. So it's talking about the things that you do, taking the things that you do and committing them in, over to the Lord. And when you do that, the thoughts or the plans that you made to the things that you are doing will then be established. In other words, you can see the truth in that. If you commit it over to God, there's the best chance that it's going to succeed when you go through it. So that's an example of progressive parallelism. And then finally, emblematic parallelism is where one line 
illumines the other by a simile or a metaphor. As an example, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 26, as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man to those who send him. So you have an illustration there of what it's like to have a lazy guy and you go up to him and go, hey, I need you to go do this. And he goes, okay, I'll get right on it. And then he doesn't go do it. And then you're what? You're frustrated, you're irritated, like smoke getting into your eyes or vinegar getting into your mouth. And so again, an emblematic parallelism. Now, a simple outline of the book of Proverbs Our opening passage that we're going to look at today in the first seven verses are the purpose of Proverbs, what they are and and what the purpose of them are. And then in verses or chapters one through chapter nine, there are stories or there are speeches about wisdom and about folly. And if you do the wise thing, things are going to go good. If you do the foolish thing, you're going to suffer the consequences for that. And then the bulk of the book, chapters 10 through 29, are the Proverbs as we would think of them, the two little two-line Uh, short, concise statements that are communicating words of wisdom to us as we go through this. Now, in the book of Proverbs, they're they're not arranged topically. So we're not going to turn to one spot and see uh, where all of the Proverbs talk about wisdom or where they all talk about marriage or parenting or something. They're, They're woven throughout the book of Proverbs. It actually makes it kind of challenging really in a setting like this to try and teach through the book of Proverbs uh, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because in all seriousness, once we get into chapter 10 and following, I mean, they can be changing topics every verse. I mean, one, one verse might say one thing on one topic. The very next verse is something completely unrelated to the verse prior to it. So you could have, what, 10, 15 topics in one chapter. And so we're going to take a topical approach uh, once we get into the, that area with Proverbs. It's kind of like the Bible. You know, with the Bible, you have truths that are woven throughout the entire thing. So if you want to look at every passage that speaks about Jesus Christ, you're not going to find it just in one section under the heading Jesus Christ. You're going to see it really all throughout the scriptures. This is where it refers to systematic theology. So you take all the verses that speak of Jesus and it's collected together and it's called Christology, the study of Jesus Christ. Or I want to look at all the verses that speak about end times. And so I look at I look at a, a section that's called eschatology in a book called Systematic Theology so that you can look at all of the places that are woven through the scriptures, this one particular topic. And Proverbs is kind of like that. And here's some of the main topics that we see in the book of Proverbs. Again, I think one of the key things is wisdom throughout. And, that, and that's really the message of the book of Proverbs. If, if you do the right thing and the wise thing, and things are gonna go well for you. And so that's kind of the key. But it also speaks about conduct. You know, what we do, an attitude, why we do, the way we do what we do. It speaks about parenting. Boy, how many of you know that we've been given, thank God, the, uh, the owner's manual on parenting right here because we're all just giving kids like, give it your best shot, you know? And, and we fail miserably, don't we? And that's why we turn to the Bible and Proverbs says a lot about, about how to do parenting. How about how to do marriage? Anybody need help with that on how to do marriage? Again, not just the book of Proverbs, but the Bible. And on business relationships and the dealing with money and friendships and, and the rulers and alcohol or vices. And so these are some different topics that we see here in the book of Proverbs. So let's go ahead and jump right into verse one of Proverbs chapter one that says, the Proverbs of Solomon, 
the son of David, king of Israel. So these are Solomon's Proverbs primarily. In 1 Kings chapter four, it tells us of Solomon that he spoke 3,000 Proverbs and his songs were 1,005. Now, I, I wondered how many Proverbs are in the book of Proverbs, and I read a couple different things, and you know, 800 came uh, at one reading, uh, but he spoke 3,000. And as far as his songs, there's 1,005 that he wrote, but we only have one of them in the Bible, don't we? The Song of Solomon. And so he was a very prolific writer. He also wrote two Psalms, though, that we have in the book of Psalms. And so uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he's believed to be the author of that, Solomon is. It says, and moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many Proverbs. So Solomon is the primary author of the book of Proverbs. Um, he's not the only author. I kind of skipped by that in the outline where the final chapters have a couple of different uh, authors that are there but he is the primary one. Solomon is the son or was the son of David. And David was the greatest king of Israel. David was the king that all other kings were measured by. As you read through the book of first and second Kings, when they're introducing a new king, they'll, if he was a good king, let's say, they'll introduce the king and they say, they'll say he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, like his father, David. So David was like the gold standard when it came to how kings were measured. He's the one that secured the kingdom for Israel. He wasn't the first king of Israel, he was the second king. Saul was the first king. And Saul started out very, in a very humble way, little in his own eyes, but then he became filled with pride. And when he became filled with pride, he was no longer usable by the Lord. And so the Lord raised up a man after his own heart. And that was King David. And David secured the kingdom. He conquered the enemies within Israel. He conquered the enemies surrounding Israel so that even though they didn't dwell in the lands surrounding Israel, the lands surrounding Israel paid tribute to David. So when Solomon comes to the throne, he inherits you know, the, a great kingdom and he's able to have a reign of peace. And that's what Solomon's name mean, means is peace. It's like shalom. And so he benefited from all of the work that David did. He enjoyed the fruits of David's labor. And so Solomon became the king of Israel. And when Solomon became king, we read in 1 Kings chapter three that God appeared to him in a dream. And God said to him, ask me, what do you want? And Solomon didn't ask for great riches. He didn't ask for the lives of his enemy, but he asked for wisdom. Wisdom to be able to guide the children of Israel, this great people that God had raised up. And so God answered that prayer and gave him wisdom. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 12, he said, Behold, I have done according to your word. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. He was the wisest man in the entire world. In 1 Kings chapter 4, beginning from verse 30, it says, thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men. And so as you can see, it's fitting that Solomon would be the chief author of this book of Proverbs because he was the wisest person on the earth. And to give testimony to that, let's just turn back to our left substantially to the book of First Kings. So going back to your left to First Kings chapter 10, and this is an account where the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, heard of this new king in Israel, and she wanted to come 
and see if the things that she had heard were really true. So we're looking at 1 Kings chapter 10, beginning from verse one. It says, now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels that bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. For the queen of Sheba, seeing was believing. She heard, she came, she saw, she was convinced. Hey, the half wasn't told. I mean, this is greater than what I even heard. Jesus used the queen of Sheba, the queen of the South as an example of someone who heard of something great and went about seeing if it was true or not. He said this in his rebuke to the people of his day that weren't believing in him. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, Jesus said, the queen of the South will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed a greater than Solomon is here. What a testimony that is. You know, when you think of the message of the gospel, you know, is it too good to be true? No, the half had not been told. What is the gospel? I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Well, the good news is that Jesus came and he died for my sin. He was buried and he rose again the third day, conquering sin and death. And I can have an abundant life now and heaven when I die. You know what? That is the good news. And we can say like the queen of the South, hey, the half had not been told. It's gonna be so much better than that. And so Jesus uses her as an example. This is what you ought to do. But how many times, you know, I know before I became a Christian, I heard the message and it's like, no, I don't wanna, I don't wanna act upon it. I don't wanna go see if that's true. That's not wisdom, that's foolishness. And you have to realize that there's a real devil that wants to deceive us. And the devil did a good job of deceiving me for about five years until finally I opened up my mind and my heart to the Lord. And I'll tell you, just like the Queen of Sheba said, the half had not been told because life with Jesus is so much better, amen, than life in the world, life prior to that. So anyway, this is Solomon. These are primarily his Proverbs that we have before us. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. And now we see the purpose, if you will, of Proverbs, beginning from verse two. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, 
to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. Notice in verses two and three, uh, it kind of gives us the purpose here, to know, to perceive, to receive, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive or to be able to discern those words of understanding and then to receive the instruction of wisdom. So it's not just knowing it, is it? It's not just knowing this fact, but it's being able to discern what's within that and then finally to be able to receive. So what is wisdom? Here's one definition. It's not just knowledge, but it's a knowledge applied in the correct way. And that's what we see as we go through this. Nelson's commentary says this, the wisdom of Proverbs has a lot in common with what we might call common sense. It is an understanding of the way the world works. The issue is not so much what one knows intellectually, but what one does practically, it is truth applied. Common sense is hard to find today, isn't it? And so it's knowing what to do with the knowledge that you have. Warren Wiersbe said this, we're living in the information age, but we certainly aren't living in the age of wisdom. And there's a lot of truth to that. So the purpose to know, to perceive, to receive, and notice wisdom into verse three, justice, judgment, and equity. The NIV translates that what is right, what is just, and, and what is fair. And so common sense, the truth of Proverbs, the truth of God's word is going to help us be able to discern what is right, what is wrong, what is just, and also what is fair. And that's what we wanna do. Another example that we see in Solomon's life is recorded back in 1 Kings chapter three. So one more time, if you wanna go back to 1 Kings chapter three, there's a story of Solomon's great wisdom. And this is a story back when I was a brand new Christian, just, it just floored me. I thought, man, this guy is on it here. So there's these two ladies that come to Solomon and they have this problem and Solomon, he just, he gives like the answer to solve this seemingly impossible situation. First Kings chapter three, shortly after Solomon becomes king, beginning from verse 16 of first Kings chapter three, it says, now two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, oh my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I'd given birth that this woman also gave birth and we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, no, but the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, no, but the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. And the king said, the one says, this is my son who lives and your son is the dead one. 
The other says, no, but your son is the dead one and my son is the living one. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered and they feared the king for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. I think that's awesome. <laughs> what, I mean, how do you solve a situation like this? No, this one's my son. No, it's my son. Well, let's divide him in two and you guys can decide which half each one gets. <laughs> it's like, no, no, don't do it. And that brought out who the real mom was with it. And Solomon, just a, a wonderful example of the wisdom that God gave to him, blessed with wisdom like no other man that has ever lived. Back in Proverbs, it says, this will give prudence, verse four, to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. And then verse five, a wise man as well. So this is for the simple and it's also for the wise. Now in verse four, where it says to give prudence to the simple, the simple would be like a naive person an inexperienced person, similar to the young man. The young man hasn't lived his life, and so he doesn't have those experiences to be able to draw upon. But the Proverbs will give prudence to them. Expositor says of the word prudence, the ability to foresee evil and prepare for it. So I don't have the experience yet. I've never gone through that, but through this wisdom, I can see it and I can prepare for what lies ahead. So that's for the simple, but also for the wise, this is beneficial. Verse five, a wise man will hear and increase learning and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. So just like it says in Proverbs 9, 9, give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser, teach a just man and he will increase in learning. And I think for the wise man, he's open, he's teachable and he'll increase all the more. And so the Proverbs, to know, to perceive, to receive, verse six, to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now the foundational truth with being able to receive is verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. That is the foundation, our relationship with the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? And I think the idea that we're going to see is that we have a reverential respect for the Lord. We receive what he has to say and we act upon it. Let me read what Expositor says concerning the fear of the Lord. Ultimately, it expresses reverential submission to the Lord's will and thus characterizes a true worshiper. And so, we don't just hear what he has to say as a suggestion, but we hear it and we reverence him so much that we'll do whatever he tells us to do. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In chapter nine, verse 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning 
of wisdom. In fact, that phrase is used a handful of times in the book of Proverbs, but you can get the idea. It's foundational to be able to receive knowledge, to be able to receive wisdom, to have the correct foundational relationship with the Lord puts you and me in the position to be able to receive and thus succeed in life. Um, Again, reading from expositors, to be wise in the biblical sense, one must begin with a proper relationship to God. To fear the Lord means to respect him for who he is and to respond to him in trust, worship, obedience, and service. If God is not honored and his word not followed, then wisdom, as the Hebrew sages defined it, can never be attained. The word wise and the word wisdom are used 120 times in the book of Proverbs. So you can see how this is the main theme. And it's not just hearing it, but it's putting it into practice. And so as we go through it, I encourage each of us to do that very thing. You know, there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs and uh, I've heard of of people reading a chapter a day because there's roughly, you know, 30 days in a month. And so a chapter a day, read through the book of Proverbs, and then when you get to the end of it, start over again, and it's a book filled, again, with common sense wisdom to help us live our lives. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, that's foundational, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wisdom should be what draws us to the Lord to stay close to him. Here's a number of scriptures on wisdom. Proverbs 4, 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And speaking of Jesus in Colossians 2.3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So wisdom is primary. It's the principal thing. You need to get wisdom. I don't know what to do then ask of God, but make sure you ask in faith. Don't be doubting when you ask. Ask in faith and recognize that Jesus has all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. But as we see in our passage, fools despise wisdom. It can be said that Solomon played the fool in his life. Solomon began well, but he also made a lot of mistakes. He drifted from the Lord and served the gods of his foreign wives. You can read about that in 1 Kings chapter 11. One commentary wrote, presumably Solomon wrote the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs in his early adult years, Proverbs in his middle years, and Ecclesiastes near the end of his life as he reflected on his experiences. You know, the tone of Ecclesiastes, it's almost like Eeyore's writing it. Did you ever notice that? It's like, vanity of vanities, yeah. all life is vanity. And it, it does kind of give a picture of Solomon after he tried everything to become happy and like nothing is gonna fulfill me. But I really believe Solomon came around in the end because it says at the end of a book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all, amen? I mean, when you get to the end of it, that's all that really matters. You want to reverence God. You don't want to play the fool. You want to be able to finish well, and you want to be able to finish strong. And so the way to do that is to stay close to the Lord. Turn over, if you will, to chapter 3, and I just want to end with verses 5 and 6. Proverbs 3, 
Verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Amen? Amen. All right. Can I have the ushers come forward at this time? We're going to move into communion right now. And what we're going to do is receive the elements of communion, remembering what Jesus has done for us in laying his life down. We do this once a month on the first Sunday of the month. It doesn't say how often we're supposed to do this. It just says as often as you do this, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So we do this to remember what Jesus did for us, that he loved us so much that he gave his life so that we can be forgiven. If you've come out today and you've never trusted Jesus as your savior, this is your opportunity to do it. He loves you. He sent his son to lay his life down so that you can be forgiven. And the way you do that is best simply by humbling your heart and saying, Lord, I recognize I'm a sinner in need of you to save me from my sin. And if you genuinely want that, then he will forgive you and give you a life an abundant life that's truly worth living. And if you've come out today too, and you're a believer, but life hasn't just been going the way you know it should be, recommit, you know, this is a time, Lord, please forgive me for the things I've been doing. I wanna, I wanna do things your way. I wanna do it right and ask him for his help. That's the way we succeed. It's not us trying harder. It's Lord, I can't do it. I need your help. Please take me, fill me and make me the man or woman you want me to be. Father, we do thank you for this time that we can come before this table and that we can remember the great love that you show toward us in bringing your son into this world. And so I pray at this time, Lord, that all of us recognize we're so far from, from perfect. But Lord, our desire is to be the men and women you've created us to be. So as we say thank you for your love for us, please empower us to live the lives that you've always planned for us to live. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.